Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Hello and welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program we talk to Ryan Camarda and Kevin McLeod. Ryan is putting together a documentary called Royalty Free, The Music of Kevin McLeod. Currently in the last days of a Kickstarter campaign, I wanted to get this interview and put it up online so you guys have a chance to go and contribute. This is going to be an awesome project, and I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing more about it today. We talked to Ryan and Kevin about this project, their role in it, and what they hope to achieve. The first part of this interview is with Ryan and Kevin, and that talks about the movie and the Kickstarter campaign where you have a chance to help contribute to this awesome cause. Then I sandwich the original Incompetech interview that we did with Kevin uh, years ago, just for a little uh, perspective. So sit back and relax and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio, this one entitled Royalty Free, the music of Kevin McLeod, and this song in the background here, Crunk Night, enjoy. This is one of the latest creations of Kevin McLeod. Welcome back, uh, Kevin, to Music Life Radio. Kevin, we had you on the program a few years back, and we were talking a lot about royalty-free music, and yeah. I get an email from Ryan not too long ago talking about a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for a documentary about you uh, to talk about the genius of Kevin McLeod and <laughs> all of his IM, you know, uh, IMDB credits and, and whatnot. How did this, uh, the idea for the documentary come about? Uh, at the time, I was editing a trailer, and I had been using Kevin's music for years. So I went to his website again and started looking at it. And uh, this time, um, I had been doing a documentary that my partner was afraid to do. So we were looking for a new subject and interesting things. And we were like, you know what? We've been using Kevin's music for years. So, who is he? Uh, so we, you know, we Googled him. We found his IMDB and went, oh, huh. And we saw that thousands of other people had used his music. And from that point, we started doing more and more research and kept going down the rabbit hole until where we are today. How did you find out about uh, Kevin's music to begin with? Google. You just Google. <laughs> you, just, you were just looking for royalty-free music? Yep. Although, um... You know, I, I must admit, I like, probably have heard music like Kevin's music beforehand on YouTube. But like one of the major things about this documentary as well is the whole connecting the dots kind of thing. And that like I'd probably been listening to his music for years. 
but I just didn't realize it was his music. Um, so, you know, part of the documentary is connecting the dots for a lot of people that, oh, his music is everywhere and used by everyone. So just kind of to highlight uh, all the people that are using it and to put a little bit of a spotlight on Kevin. Yes, but we're also, we also want to branch out and talk about a Creative Commons as well, as that's a major factor and how Kevin releases his music, CC BY, and uh, CCO for public domain, his public domain website. Now, who are some of the people that you're interviewing uh, and talking to for this documentary? Lots of people. <laughs> The, we have uh, Lauren Flesig, who is the co-creator of uh, co-founder of Creative Commons. I'm very excited about that one, actually. I've never met him. I don't know anything about him, but uh, I'd like to know what he has to say. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to try to go up to Boston to interview him and see what his thoughts are on things. We have interviews with uh, CC Mixer and Free Music Archive, which are both uh, other websites that release. Uh, Creative Commons music, but they do it in different ways. Like and like uh, CC Mixer is more about you know mixing and remixing music, while Free Music Archive is about discovering kind of like indie bands and things like that. Then we have a lot of uh, big YouTubers, so the Fine Brothers, KSI, Seth Fling, Jack Bale, etc. We have uh, Dominatrix, who's used Kevin's music, Mrs. Uh, Clarissa. Um, we're talking about Twin Music Hum and a few other uh, composers that release their music in a more similar vein to what Kevin does, like uh, Josh Woodward as well. Uh, we're also interviewing the head of uh, Social Blade, which is a website which actively tracks uh, YouTube uh, stats. Now, how did you reach out to contact uh, Kevin and get him involved in the project? I... Looked up how to contact them, and I emailed them. Yeah, I think it was email. And ex- what exactly is your role, other than being the subject, Kevin? Are you uh, helping to put this documentary together, or are you just clearly just the subject? I'm guessing there will probably be an interview or two with me in there. And I'm certainly helping out with the Kickstarter, because when they did all the research and came to me, I learned a lot about myself. Like, these are things that I did not know. <laughs> it's like, wow, you guys... That's some amazing research. It's, uh, yep, that certainly looks like my life. Uh, I don't <laughs> know how you did that, but that's cool. And so, and so it's, it's, one of those, uh, it's one of those weird, I don't think very many people have that situation where you just go to a meeting at some bar and they're like, okay, here's everything that you've ever done. Uh, <laughs> um, and like some of the things I don't remember, I don't even know. I'm like, oh yeah, that really so- I really sound impressive. That's kind of, <laughs> that's really amazing. Well, yeah, with as many credits as you have, it would be almost impossible to try to remember every you know or have any kind of connection to all of those uh, people that have used your music. <laughs> yeah. So where are we at with the Kickstarter campaign? Talk a little bit more about that and uh, where you're at. Have you done any interviews at all? Uh, you know, where are you at in the in the film process right now? Uh, we've done a lot of interviews for the Kickstarter, <laughs> and uh, we were mentioned on the radio a few times on TV once. Uh, tons of podcasts here and there, and uh, we're three days away um, with roughly four thousand dollars left in the uh, to hit our goal. Well, that's pretty good. That's not too shabby. 
It's not too shabby once we hit our goal. <laughs> what, what is your, uh, so what are you going to be doing the next few days to get the word out? Doing podcasts with very nice people named Dan um, <laughs> and doing other podcasts and interviews and emailing lots of people and going through Twitter and tweeting people and pretty much all of the above. So you haven't actually done any interviews for the movie, or you're actually going to wait for the Kickstarter campaign to finish and then uh, take it from there? Yeah. Uh, right now we're in pre-production, so we're gathering the money and we're gathering the interview subjects. So this way, like, if there's a group of them in Los Angeles or something, then we could line them all up into one week of interviews, fly out there, and just knock all of them out. Yeah, it's apparently making movies is a very long process. Where, like, if I get a project in that takes me more than three weeks, that's a crazy long project. <laughs> and then these guys are talking about, yeah, well, it's going to take about ten months. Ten months to make a freaking doc? Okay, well, I guess, I mean, you know what you're talking about, so. <laughs> Who are the first interviews that you're going to be doing? And, I mean, what's your timeline as far as this, this project goes? Well, once we gather the uh, the funds, which it takes like two weeks, uh, we'll start getting equipment, and during that process, we'll start doing interviews. Um, the first round of interviews are going to be with New York subjects, because uh, we're based in New York. So we'll do interview one with Kevin, we'll do Free Music Archive, uh, Lindsay Ellis, and a uh, few other people based in New York, like um, Jonathan Colton's based in New York. And, yeah, on, on and on. Oh, Mrs. Calistra is uh, based in New York. So we're, we're going to knock out all those interviews first, and then we'll go from there based on what the scheduling is like. Who, who else do you have on your team for this project? Is, or is it just you? Uh, no, I have um, I have my uh, produ- my co-producer Ari uh, and my friend Tom, who's helping out with uh, special effects and stuff. Um, so it, it, we're ke- it's a small team, but that's better. So we're not just wasting funds on oh, this person needs you know healthcare to make sure that we don't get sued and. Here's this person who we have to pay to set up lights or whatever. So we're keeping it small, reducing the uh, cost of everything. Very good. Hey, uh, Kevin, what, can you explain the Creative Commons uh, a bit since that's going to be a focus of this, uh, just so we can uh, recap for, for the folks? So, yeah, what is Creative Commons? Um, Creative Commons is sort of an answer to the Copyright Act of 1976, which went crazy. Basically, it copyrighted anything that was ever made after that point. It is automatically under copyright. And you get a lot of, there's a, well, there's a lot of things which are made which nobody cares about, to be fair. There was no easy way to give away some of your rights before Creative Commons came along. Like, let's say I made a piece of music in, I don't know, today. Oh, here's a piece that I'm working on right now. It's a little disco it's nice. Um, nice. Now, if I wanted to, uh, uh, if I just released that normally, then there's all manner of problem for people to, to use that because you're looking at 
you know, a law that was created in the 70s back when it was difficult to do things. And, you know, this this is a piece of music that I've just work, been working on today. It already sounds pretty okay. So my goal is to get rid of some of the rights that are allocated to me under U.S. law. And before Creative Commons, there wasn't a way to do that. Creative Commons gives you an easy way to say, anyone can use this for non-commercial purposes. Anyone can use this, but they have to attribute things to me. Anyone can use this, but they have to also let anyone use the movie that they made. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. It's good to have a way to be more free with your creations than the law allows for in the U.S. right now. Certainly, yeah. And a lot of people obviously are using your stuff. What kind of feedback do you get from people that are you know, using your videos and YouTube and whatnot? I, I, I get copious feedback. Um, and it, it's almost all good. Um, there's very few people who take the time to say, hey, I listened to your stuff and I used it in my film, but it was terrible. <laughs> well, sure. Now, what about uh, payments and stuff? I know you, on your website, at least a, w- a little while back, you, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you use a piece of uh, a music, you know, you ask people to send you five bucks or something. Uh, how, yep. how does that work out for you? Um, it works out pretty well. Not to say that a lot of people do it, but enough people do it. By the way, if you're one of the people who uses my music and you haven't donated, come on, please, just like, <laughs> like lunch. That's all. I, that's I'm not asking for a lot here. <laughs> well, I've, I can say I've. I mean, I've used your music quite a bit, and I, I always try to slide you some cash when I when I do. I I highly appreciate <laughs> you and uh, and people like you. And yeah, there's there, there's a lot of people who donate, and but there's a, I think. Uh, do not. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. So, Ryan, let's jump back to you just for a little bit. Um, What is your background in film? How did you get interested in film? And, uh, you know, where did you grow up? What kind of stuff were you getting influenced by? Well, I started off in theater, uh, running my own projects and such. Um, And then I came to the realization that, wow, film is way easier to actually execute. (laughs) Um, Especially since the digital revolution. Um, So you just need a video camera and you're good, sort of. So I started off there and then I went to uh, film school and I branched out from there. Um, Before I started the project with Kevin, I was working with a uh, kung fu company called Wansi Entertainment where I did uh, assistant producing, um, editing, lots of interesting things. And then I branched out and I've been doing freelance and other things. And in terms of influences, uh, I watch pretty much everything except for chick flicks. Well, talk about some of the movies that you have made. I know uh, you've got a short called Departure. And then, uh, what, the Craigslist Files? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Craigslist Files. I made that for a 48-hour film festival, and um, that was interesting. Uh, the 48-hour film festival, you have to make, you have to write, shoot, and edit a, a film within 48 hours, just, you know, one weekend. And uh, we won the, we got into the Best of New York screening show, and our actress, Christina, won Best Actress. 
And then for other projects I've done, like I've done editing for uh, Blooming Flowers. I worked on that with 1C Entertainment, and that uh, got distribution. Okay. Uh, I think with Lionsgate. Nice. Yeah, I have to double-check that, because it's, it's been a while. Are any of these movies that you've worked on or, or made, I mean, the ones you specifically made, like the Craigslist files, are those on YouTube, or is there any way we can go check those out? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're on YouTube. The uh, My short ones um, that I've personally done are on YouTube, yeah. The freelance ones are just scattered throughout the internet, and then some of the bigger ones are out there on DVD and Netflix and such. So what if the Kickstarter campaign doesn't is not successful and you can't get that last 4000 What do you do then? What's next? Well, uh, you try, try again. <laughs> How does that work? Is that something that you can kind of just repost, or do you have to try to find another avenue? Uh, well, we could, we could repost it, but uh, we would probably go with Indiegogo, and we're, gonna, we're applying for grants regardless um, to try to get this funded as well. The film's going to be made no matter what. That, that's the that's going to happen. It's a matter of how big is it going to be. I, I see. Yep, definitely. So yeah. the, the Kickstarter's to give you the resources so you can get this going. Basically, the Kickstarter yeah. project. And uh, you, you may be looking at other means for post-production, funding, stuff like that, right? Yeah. But as I said, like regardless of the Kickstarter is successful or not, which we're pretty sure it will be with great help like you, um, we're going to shoot a, a, a short regardless of the results anyway. Because Kevin's because ba- we're both based in New York, and there's a few other interview subjects in New York that we'll be able to film it one way or another. It'll just be much more self-contained. Are you looking at like a full-length uh, documentary if if you have the funding available? If we if we can get the funding, we would definitely like to do a feature. Right now, we're we're trying to. Aim for a feature to a long short, but we have to see what happens. We, we don't want to stretch things out, basically. Yeah. But we want the content to determine the length, not the length to determine the content. Because a lot of like documentaries, we can just pad it out and shoot, you know, shots of New York City and splice that in for like twenty minutes. But you know, yeah, you'd rather watch. Nobody wants that thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also did, I didn't know that a long short was a like a classification of films. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, We've got short shorts and long shorts, and and what's the definition of a long short? Yeah, I would probably say a long short falls in the range of like it depends on film festival. Well, is ah. like that? Because some film festivals say a feature film is like 45 minutes, which is insane, but they do that for scheduling reasons. Uh, a long short to me would be somewhere between an hour and a uh, half an hour. 30 to 60 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. that, that would be a long short. A feature is, for me, would be like 75 minutes on. All right. And then a regular short would be like Within 30 minutes, a short short is five minutes. A long short is 15. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've definitely got a lot of people lined up uh, for interviews. What? And you're going to talk about Creative Commons. What else is this uh, documentary going to talk about? We're going to we're start. We'll have Kevin as the base as the backbone, 
Um, then we're going to branch out into Creative Commons. And we're also going to talk about um, ASCAP and BMI, what they think of Kevin and Creative Commons. Because um, we know there has been some tension, at least for uh, BMI and uh, ASCAP, not necessarily for Kevin, but you know how they have very different uh, views on releasing music. Oh, there's been tension, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Describe that tension. That might be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're, we're going to hear from their side. And I also want to talk about how uh, we're in the middle of a music revolution. Um, how I, I previously spoke about the digital like video revolution, how anyone could just pick up a camera and shoot these days, well before you had to do with the film costs. Um, like, sure, there was 8mm, but, you know, it... It became much bigger once video hit. But now, um, thanks to Creative Commons and people like Kevin, um, you don't have to know a composer or have, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars to find music. Um, and then, they, like, they used to release the music on CDs as well, and, like, combo packs, and some of it was good, some of it wasn't. Well, Kevin, you could just search whatever song you want by feel, and boom. So what I feel is that the terms in terms of the music revolution is that anyone now can just go and go to Kevin's site or go to the music archive or whatever and find good music that they can use in their videos for free as long as they credit people. And that just sort of blows my mind when compared to, you know, hundred well, throughout the entire history of film, basically. Where it was always you had to know someone you had to pay a license fee or you had to scrounge around the public domain for something. And even then the public domain, like Beethoven as an artist and his sheet music is public domain, but recordings of his music often aren't. And then you run into that kind of hassle as well. Let's jump back to the, uh, this conflict between the creative commons and Kevin's approach and the BMI ASCAP folks. What, what's the core conflict there? Um, I don't know how much I want to say about that. Uh, Watch the documentary and you'll find out. <laughs> I've, uh, I've certainly been contacted by them, and um, it's not been uh, pleasant phone conversations. Not ASCAP specifically, but uh, CSAC, which is another uh, professional rights organization. They're, they all have peering contracts with each other. And apparently there have been some documents floating around um, inside ASCAP um, with regard to royalty-free music and what the hell to do about it. Ah, I yeah. swear on this, I don't even know. Oh. Yeah, okay, well, well, okay, that's just why I was curious. Well, one other question that I have, why Kevin, why Kevin's music? There's other royalty-free music sites out there. Why did you lock in on Kevin? Well, Kevin is the most uh, individually used composer on the internet right now, I'd say. And in terms of, like, that he's releasing music, you know, in modern day and people are using it. Not like, you know, like, in terms of uh, Beethoven where people redo his music and distribute it and yada yada. Um, and... Besides that, have you met, like, Kevin's amazing. He's a very personable person, yes. I, I enjoy exactly. talking to him, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy there's a documentary made, being made about Kevin. It's going to be very cool. 
Yep, thank you. What else do you guys want to talk about as far as this movie goes? Well, uh, three days left and 4,000 to go. Yeah, this, this is the first moment in the Kickstarter where we've actually been behind, like, per, like if you did, like, a linear graph, we're just barely behind. So. Ah, okay. It's real, it's real close. Uh, it, every, you know, five, hey, come on, five bucks. Again, <laughs> it's like lunch. <laughs> buy lunch for the, buy a sandwich for one of the production crew. It's not that hard. <laughs> or maybe not even, maybe not even a sandwich. Buy us some ramen. One dollar. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hey, hey. I, I've noticed this on my website. If you ask for a dollar, people will give you a dollar. Ask for five bucks. No one's going to bother. They'll be like, yes, I'll give you five bucks. So, Kevin, what do you see this film doing for you as a composer? Do you see this as uh, uh, what, what do you think you're going to get out of this? Other than, you know, you're going to learn more about yourself. And, and, I am! Yeah. <laughs> more about my place in the universe. Yes. Um, I don't know. I have honestly no idea, but I have no idea how my life works anyway. <laughs> so you're along for the ride. It sounds like a, a wonderful adventure, and uh, yeah. you're just going to be a part. Yep, gotcha. Yeah. Well, very cool. I don't necessarily need more jobs coming in. You know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm working on some really cool things right now. Uh, they're still in negotiation, so I don't want to talk about them, but they're going to be awesome and may involve me flying to Brazil, which would be great. Oh, nice. Um, but, yeah, no, things, things are good. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I figure you probably are pretty much employed full-time already in that uh, new new job opportunities. It's probably not something you were looking for right now. but Well, it's always good to have better Jobs. Yeah, that's true. You, you always want to get closer to your dream jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what are your dream jobs right now? Other than you don't you need to talk about these projects you're working on, but what would you really <laughs> like to be doing? I like to do more dramatic pieces, more like shorts or you know uh, simple features. I don't want to go into the blockbuster route. Um, it just requires too many people and too many resources. There's possibilities of going uh, Broadway. Uh, those are difficult, but I've, I've written musicals before, but uh, and there's apparently some interest there for me to work on some things. But um, I have an amazing audience that loves what I do, and I just really want to make them happy. I really want to super service the people who already know and like my stuff. Now, where can we get more information about uh, the documentary? Uh, give us some websites. You can check out the Kickstarter at royaltyfreedoc.com slash Kickstarter. That'll take you to the, the website, um, and it's pretty detailed, so you can check everything out. Um, if you want to email me, uh, we have our email on the Kickstarter as well. Yeah, it's a very slick site. I like the movie poster and everything about the project. It looks very professional. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> and so Kevin's website is incompetech.com. Uh, do you have any other contact information, Kevin, or is it all right there? What, do you want, like, my email address? It's on there. You want my phone number? It's on there. My mailing address? On there. All right. 
Incompetech.com, the place for all of your Kevin McLeod needs. And graph paper. <laughs> and graph paper, absolutely. <laughs> and a catalog of Amazon box sizes. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks, guys, Ryan and Kevin, very much. Uh, I wish you the best of success with your project. And I'll do as much as I can. I'll get this interview out tomorrow, and uh, we'll see if we can get that last 4000 for the Kickstart campaign. All right. Super appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us on. All right, guys. Take it easy. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, so you heard it from those guys. $5, it's only like a lunch. So go ahead and go to that Kickstarter campaign and contribute if you can. If you can, it's all right. They're still going to make the movie, and we're all looking forward to see what comes out of this whole thing. Anyway, now on to the next part of the Music Live Radio episode, the original interview with Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Everyone does have a story, and mine involves uh, sitting in a dark room writing music for days on end. That's Kevin McLeod, a composer who runs the website Incompetech.com. It's one of the most popular royalty-free music sites on the internet. Today on Music Life Radio, we talk to Kevin about his creative process, his business model, the advantages of the Creative Commons licensing structure, especially for composers and musicians, and why current copyright law is out of place in today's age. We also discuss life in Brooklyn, cocktails, and many of Kevin's projects and credits. All the music you hear on today's show is available from Kevin's website, and most of these are from his favorites collection. These tracks are all available for free download under the Creative Commons Attribution by License. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. This episode entitled Incompetech, the Kevin McLeod Story. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your musical background. Well, I grew up in around uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. My musical background, I mean, I played music forever. And I ended up going to school for music education at uh, University of Wisconsin, but... I didn't graduate. I got a job doing computer programming right out of that. And then uh, I didn't do music professionally until about five, six years ago when uh, somebody contacted me to do a film. And so I accepted it and uh, realized that I'd never scored a film before. Ah, Interesting. What made you decide to get into that as a major at Wisconsin? Because I didn't like chemistry. (laughs) <laughs> and apparently that was required for electrical engineering. Oh, I see. So, I'm actually an electrical engineer myself. So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> but I had to take the chemistry. That wasn't so bad. It was the multivariable calculus that was uh, the rough one for me. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, calculus is its, it's, its own reward, I guess. Do you find that there's a lot of commonality between math and science and music? There seems to be a lot of commonality in people. Um, I don't know if there's much direct commonality in the um, in the disciplines itself, but people who are like mathematicians tend to be into music. Do you have any theories on why that might be? I really don't know. I think it's just 
it's got to be some sort of mindset that just happens to work for both things. Now, what kind of music were you listening to while you were growing up that might have had an influence on you picking a musical career? Oh, my God. Uh, what was I listening to when I was growing up? It's a fantastic question. Like, before high school, I was listening to the radio a lot, so that was just top 40 things. And then uh, in high school, I got into uh, more of uh, the like the classical people, Dvorak, uh, Beethoven, and Chopin, and those guys. Uh, Bach, a lot of Bach in uh, high school. So I was the odd kid who was listening to, uh, you know, pictures at an exhibition on the Walkman. And then, uh, and then after that, I got into uh, like the early 20th century uh, guys like Holst and uh, Prokofiev, Tchaikovsky, those guys. What was your primary motivation to become a composer? I don't remember. These things go back so far that I don't <laughs> even think. Because uh, I was writing music since I, oh, maybe, you know, seven years old. Oh, really? So you were doing it that early? I was doing it that early. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I've uh, re- recovered some tapes of me doing, um, you know, alternate scores to movies I've seen and things of that sort. So it seems like scoring movies was a big part of your decision to get into that business? Yeah, I, re- I really enjoy um, being a part of a larger uh, a larger piece like that as opposed to like being a singer-songwriter and creating everything for myself. Being a part of somebody else's vision is uh, it's something that I like quite a bit. Do you work in a very collaborative environment? I mean, you kind of have to, I suppose, if you're looking at a movie and trying to decide what type of music you're going to use. The collaboration, I try to keep down to two people, which is me and the person who eventually says yes or no. <laughs> okay. Do you usually get an idea from, I guess it would be the director, whoever's that project manager for that that part of it? Does that person generally give you an idea of what they're looking for as far as the music goes, or do they kind of just say, hey, take a look at my project and come up with something? Uh, it goes both of those ways. Uh, I I particularly like it when the director knows exactly what they want the uh, the audience to feel at a particular moment, and then I can work toward that. Uh, otherwise, I end up being more, a, you know, more a director than than they are, and that I can, you know, make the audience find somebody to be comic when the director didn't mean them to be comic. So, yeah, no, I try very hard to extract um, from the director what the uh, the emotional landscape of the the film is before I uh, before I start going on it. All right, we'll get into some of your work in a little bit. Uh, but th- another question I like to ask everybody is, what does music mean to you? And since we're kind of talking about this from the creative project standpoint, this is pretty relevant to that topic. Can you tell me what music means to you? Uh, to me, it's just the most direct representation of emotion that we have. It's more direct than than words it's the only thing that we can do to to convey that kind of information does that make sense yeah it makes complete sense mm-hmm. so that's that's what it is it is it's the language of emotion so where do you live now it sounds like you live in brooklyn uh it does yes i do live much of the year in brooklyn 
Uh, I also have a house uh, back in Green Bay that okay. I go to visit on occasion, as I still have friends and family out there. What uh, made you decide to move to Brooklyn? Well, number one, it's in New York, which is so good. I love New York so much. Basically, I went from, you know, medium-sized town in Wisconsin where I knew about three composers within roughly a two-hour radius of me to an apartment in Brooklyn where I lived with three other composers. (laughs) Nice. Roughly 20 feet from me. So the access to talents out here is enormous. The sheer number of people that do similar things to what I do that you can hang out and talk with and um, bounce uh, questions off of. And, you know, I could be up at like four in the morning and go, hey, Brian, I'm working on a mix and I can't figure out what's wrong with it. You want to come and take a listen to it? And you come down and we can we can work on uh, work on a project just, you know, instantly. So, yeah, access to uh, people in that do what I do is it's an eye opening experience. And you get to really see, you know, where your strengths and deficiencies lie when you uh, when you're that close to other people. And I'm sure, just like with uh, playing with other musicians, it makes you more competent at what you're doing. You learn new things all the time, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the place where I currently live is fantastic because people are through here all the time. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy named Paul who showed up. I don't know. How, uh, but he was from uh, Germany and he played punk violin. Oh, interesting. And so we hung out and you know recorded some stuff for uh, a couple of nights, and then he went back to Germany. And before that, there were a couple of guys here from Uruguay, where I, I learned how to play um, tangos from them. It's an experience like nothing else being in New York. You can find anything you want. What's the most crazy thing you've seen since you've been in New York? Okay. So on the New York public uh, trains, the, the MTA that we have out here, they have, a, uh, they have a campaign called If You See Something, Say Something, where it's like if you see suspicious activity on the train or the platform, contact an official and, you know, because we'll, we'll take care of this. Yeah. And uh, so I was getting home one night around 7 or 8 a.m. And uh, wedged between uh, train car 7 and train car 8 near the back of the train was a guy who was on the outside, who was in between the cars, who was just sort of grabbing on to both of the train cars. And he's just sort of standing there, and he's bleeding from his head. And I'm like, huh. Well, this would, this would be... This would be one of those things, I would think, that they're talking about <laughs> as an honesty yes. that I might want to raise to somebody else. And um, so I, I go down the, I go down the stairs, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe if there's somebody handy that I could say, you know, say this to, then I would, I would bring it up to them. 
And uh, and in fact, there were like uh, four or five employees who were just sort of hanging out. I don't know if they were on break or pre-shift or whatever. And then I'm like, you know what? I think that guy actually wanted to be there. It's not like it's not like he was trying to get away from that. And if I tell these people, then they're just going to stop the train at the next stop and you know just annoy everybody else on the train who wants to get home. <laughs> so I actually didn't say anything about that, but uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of a crazy. Yes, that would be crazy. So, did you ever hear anything more about about no. those, or no? no? No, he probably just wrote it until he got sick of writing it, and then got off. Just yeah, got off at a stop and tended to his wounds or not. I couldn't tell, you know. You know, he was conscious. It wasn't like it was, uh, you know, leaving him there to suffer or anything. But he just he just wanted to be there. You know what? You know what, man? You want to be there? Good on you. Let's get right into talking about your website and the service that you provide. Your website is called Incompetech, and it is one of the uh, most popular, I, I would say it's one of the most popular royalty-free music download sites on the internet today. Is that correct? I would, you might be right. Uh, it certainly comes up number one on Google, which is, uh, so everybody likes it. Talk about what your site offers and when you started it. The site started over, oh my gosh, 1996, I think is when I started the site, but I didn't have any music on it back then. I started putting music on about six, six-ish years ago. What does it offer? It offers a lot of music that I've written for various projects over the years. Uh, most of the times I license them so that if somebody comes to me with a project and... I say, all right, here, you know, here's the cost, and for that, you get the rights to it, and so do I. And then I can take the bits and pieces that I think will translate to other projects, um, you know, maybe write them out a little bit more, and put them online so that people can use the music that I wrote for, you know, any number of hundreds of different people in their own projects for free, actually. Yeah, can you describe your licensing structure? I can, and this seems to confuse a lot of people, even though I try to be as clean as possible. <laughs> uh, everything is licensed in two ways. One of them is the Creative Commons by attribution license, which means you can take the piece of music, you can splice it up, put words to it, put it underneath anything, you can do whatever you want to it, as long as you give me credit. Seems simple enough. That's that seems simple. And the other one is, if you cannot give me credit, then it's just thirty dollars for a piece of music. Use it however you want. You know, if you want to use it at a you know ch- church thing, thirty dollars. If you want to use it as a national TV ad, it's thirty dollars. You want to use it in a national you know nationally screened movie, it's thirty dollars. It's I don't think it's hard to understand, but uh, I do feel a lot of questions on that every day. Well, a lot of people are probably more familiar with the traditional copyright, uh, especially musicians, and maybe not so much with the Creative Commons license. Yeah. 
How many uh, songs do you have on your site, approximately? Uh, I think right now it's around 800 different pieces. And can you describe the styles of music that you can find? Yes, most. I have most styles of music. At some point or another, somebody has requested that I write nearly everything. So uh, I've got from you know Latin and funk and blues to electronica to uh, a lot of... Um, African-ish music. I don't really mean to say African-ish. I, I studied a lot of African drumming in college, so that kind of leaked into what I do. Uh, it seems to be big for horror. A lot of people like it for horror, and also polkas. Polkas and horror. That's interesting. Polkas and horror. I, I think I have the market cornered on both of those. Is there a polka horror music? I Not yet. <laughs> I don't know how we could reconcile that. That could be interesting. <laughs> Do you have any particular favorite themes that you like to work with? Everything is relatively interesting. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, if, if I get a job to do a horror movie, I'm the most excited about it. Um, I generally tend to like the uh, large orchestral ensembles. I like working with uh, orchestra. So uh, a lot of string sections, a lot of brass things. Something that would be really familiar, I guess, to most movie scores, really. Yeah. Most major movie scores, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. How did you come up with the name Incompetech for your website? Uh, that was a, a joke that <laughs> that stuck. Uh, you know, it's the infusion, the uh, fusion of incompetence and technology. I'm a big fan of incompetence for some reason. I just find it fascinating. It's interesting that most people who are incompetent at something fail to recognize their own incompetence. That is very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, it's just enormously interesting to me. Well, what's the technology merger with incompetence? Oh, the, the technology was that it's a website in 1996. That's technology. That, that, that is. <laughs> that was, that was cutting-edge technology back in the day. What was your website originally for? Was it just a project of your own personal creation? That was the job I had is I built websites for people, and I wanted to build my own website, and I thought it was uh, a fun way to start. And then eventually, after uh, a few years, it gained enough momentum that I couldn't stop it. What led you to get into the composing business? Well, what happened was I put a few of my pieces of music on my site, and a director found them and said, Hey, I've got this film. Would you like to write music for it? And I said, 
Yes, I would. What was that first project? The the first project was called uh, Xmas Eve, and the director was uh, Sivlad Khorediski. I believe he was from um, the West Wing television show. He worked on that. Oh, okay. So it was a pretty good thing. And that just got the ball rolling? and That got the ball rolling. I, before that, I had been doing um, improv music for a, uh, a an improv comedy group in uh, northeast Wisconsin. And we had a theater as well, so I was writing a couple of musicals a year. So I had already been writing music for live events for a while. What is your business model with a site? Well, actually, there's a few different things. Uh, if you go to my site, incompetech.com, by the way, for those of you who don't know it yet, um, there's a donate button so people can give me money that way. Um, there's some ads on it, so I get make money that way. And uh, the third thing is it is a giant advertisement for me. I get a lot of uh, producers that say, you know, I've been using your stuff for years, and... Um, We've got a new client in, and it's got this budget, and we need something not quite like anything you've done, but we know you're good, so can you write this for us? So that's a huge part of, uh, of what Incompetech does for the, the business side of things. Do you do a lot of work for the commercial industry for advertising? I do some for advertising. There's two different kinds of music for advertising. There's the jingle people writing, and I don't write those. But I do write um, general underscores for commercials. Uh, We just got out of election season about a month or so ago, and I've I've been doing uh, quite a few of, uh, you know, dark, concerning pieces of music. (laughs) Do you really want to vote for that guy? (laughs) Interesting. What are your favorite projects to take on? I tend to like. Oh, I tend to love uh, scoring for animations, just because those are edited so tight. You know, I don't have to deal with uh, a five-minute dialogue scene that I have to make exciting. You know, because they they cut it down to the absolute bare minimum, and so those I, I tend to like a lot. And I like doing um, audio dramas. Now, where do those things appear? On radio programs? Yeah, they appear on the radio. You can pick them up at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, things like that. The last big one I did was called King Solomon's Mimes, and I don't know where that one has made it. Getting back into the copyright law a little bit more, since we were just talking about your business model, can you describe what yeah. the uh, Creative Commons license means and why musicians and other composers might be interested in uh, using this approach to promote their work? Well, okay, yeah. Creative Commons is, it's complicated, but it's not nearly as complicated as the normal copyright uh, laws, which are enormously complicated. I think uh, Cory Doctorow uh, said it best when he said, basically, when I put Creative Commons license on my work, it just means that I'm not going to be a jerk about this. Not a lot of people read it. Not a lot of people really understand it, but they know that, you know what, this person's not going to be, they're not going to come and sue me uh, for using this work in general. Well, I don't sue anyone, but yeah, it's basically an end around the current U.S. copyright system in that instead of saying, you know, all rights are mine and you have to come and, and, uh, and pay me for the rights to use this, I just say, some of the rights are mine. You can go and use this for whatever you want, 
it's really more of like, look, this is my work. I'm letting you use it under these conditions, and right. we're not going to have a lot of legal garbly gook to get in the way and confuse people so that people go and get sued later. Yes, that's so true. And what ends up happening is people who are used to the uh, the legal garbly gook are confused. They're like, wait a minute. You mean I don't... What professional rights organizations do you belong to? I'm like, well, none. <laughs> I'm not a member of ASCAP or CSAC or any of those. So... Wait a minute! You're just giving this stuff away? Like, well, not not giving it away. You have to you have to credit me. Yeah, but other than crediting, that's this doesn't make sense. So I, <laughs> I get I get those a lot. Yeah, but it really is simple. And even the legal documents in the Creative Commons are readable by a human being who isn't a lawyer, which is fantastic. That's fantastic for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, are there certain levels that are laid out in the Creative Commons license, and could you just briefly describe them? Sure. Uh, The one that I use is almost the most liberal of them. It's called the Creative Commons by Attribution, which means that you can use anything you want as long as you give me a credit. There's another one, which is Creative Commons non-commercial, which is you can use it for anything where you're not making money. And you also have to credit me. And then there's another one called Creative Commons Non-Commercial Share Alike, which is you can use this for whatever you want, but you can't make money, and you have to share this with other people in the same way that I shared my things with you. What's an example of that type? I don't like that type of thing, but that seems to be one of the that seems to be one of the most common licenses that people use. Okay. So if I were to say I am going to give my music out for this, and then you take it and make a film with it, you also have to give your film out so that other people can take it and build on your film. Oh, okay, I see. That's a very good description. Okay.
Now, why would uh, I, as a band, want to try one of these approaches? What is an advantage for me as a musician or a composer? Well, the advantage for me is that I get my music heard by a lot of people. Like, a lot of people. Millions of downloads a month. You know, if you go to YouTube, it's hard to get away from me, actually. There's so many people who use my music. So if... As an artist, your goal is to be heard by as many people as possible. It is in your best interest to license it in the most friendly way possible. That's true, because if you can get that kind of exposure, you're going to have a lot more opportunities than somebody that's got a box of a thousand CDs sitting in their their closet. That's absolutely true. (laughs) Like like myself. (laughs) You have boxes of CDs sitting in your closet. Now I have some, but uh, we've actually gone to a model where we're giving our stuff away for free now as well. There you go. Yeah, but there, there's a difference with CDs, though, in that they have a very real cost to them. That's true. And so, I mean, you can't just afford to, to give those away at the rate that you can afford to let people download. Oh, there's, uh, I believe iTunes just uh, announced, or Apple just announced that iTunes is now selling more music electronically than the entirety of the CD industry. Times have changed. So let's get into what is exactly wrong with current copyright law. We're not going to make a big, long discussion of this. <laughs> you, you mentioned that it's basically just very complicated. Are there any other points you'd like to make? Oh, sure. Well, what's copyright supposed to do? It's supposed to incentivize the creators to publish their works. And in order to give them incentive, it's that you have the exclusive right to this for 14 years. Well, initially it was like 14 years, and now it's, you know, 95 years, I think, for uh, uh, corporate work and the lifetime of the artist plus 70 years for um, just something that you, you copyright yourself. It's changed. <laughs> it's Oh, yes, it's changed. Thank you, Sonny Bono Copyright Act. <laughs> Which wasn't even the bad one. That, was, uh, that just extended things. Uh, so, uh, now, out of all of the uh, composers who are dead, but their works are still under copyright, that is not incentivizing them to make any new works at all. No. <laughs> so... I don't understand where that, uh, where the logic in that came from, but uh, that's that's where the logic is right now. So, really, what had happened are corporations or individuals with an interest in those song rights have mm-hmm. really they've really distorted what the original intention of the law was for. Uh, absolutely, because you know, after fifty years, after seventy years, there are still some pieces of music which are commercially viable. There are still some films which are able to make money even after all that time. And the people who are able to make money um, were able to get the laws changed so that they can continue to make money. But the things that didn't make money, generally people don't care about the copyright on that anymore, but they can't they can't shed it. It does. It doesn't fall into the public domain like things used to. Mm-hmm. So right now, you have to. Um, the only thing that you're pretty much guaranteed is in the public domain is 1921, 1922, or before, and that won't change until ooh, 1930 or 2036. I think is gonna be the next 
year that we actually get to, you know, grab one another one of the uh, years out of the 20th century and use that freely. Yeah, this is a this is a big complicated ball of uh, ball of wax. Are there any resources you'd recommend for people to go to to check out more about Creative Commons license or the problems with current copyright law? To learn about more Creative Commons things, go to the Creative Commons website. It is massive and has all sorts of links to projects, and people can register their music uh, on that site or movies. Or um, you're, you're not going to run out of things to look for when you go there. Uh, problems with the current copyright laws actually also available on Creative Commons. The um, the chairman of the Creative Commons is a, a big public domain uh, a legal scholar, so you can go find some talks from him if you if you like to consume information that way. Or what are some of your favorite song samples or themes that people? Might be interested in checking out. Do you have any specific ones? Yeah, actually, if you go onto my website and you go into any of the genres, uh, I put little stars next to the ones that I think are better than the other ones. So there's maybe 50 pieces there. I have I have a series called the Tenebrous Brothers Carnival, which is about seven or eight pieces that I did last year and this year, and um, I like listening to those. Those are dark and uh, lovely pieces of music. <laughs> Can you describe your creative process? Sure. For an average film, I um, take whatever movie I end up getting and load it into Logic. I use Logic as my uh, digital workstation software. And usually I will uh, take the director's notes of what things are supposed to be, take a look at the entire film, and then like go in section by section and just load up like a piano or just some other generic instrument and start playing themes to you know figure out what sort of what sort of tempo, what sort of um, note density we're looking for, and uh, then after I get that, um, meet that track out and start building it um, orchestrally. How long does it take to produce a piece? I'm sure this can be very variable, but say like for a 10 minute short film, how long do you think that would take? Uh, a 10 minute short film. I might be able to do in a day, and my days are 12 to 16 hours. So about an hour a minute for an average score, going up to about 20 hours a minute for something horribly complicated, and um, less than a minute per minute for things that are very simple. When you're doing scores for most of these movies, I'm assuming you're doing most of the work directly through tools on the computer. Yes. Or do, are there times when you actually involve uh, real instruments in any of your projects? There are, but they're rare. Okay. Um, I do love to use uh, solo instruments when I can, but hiring soloists gets expensive. And most of the movies I do are independent films, and they just don't have the budget that... Um, would allow me to go and hire, you know, um, a, a cello and flute player, you know, even small ensembles. So they all have to be done electronically. Well, and the reality of it is, is it sounds really good anyway against the film. It's getting better, yeah. So we talked about some of the projects that you worked on. You said you were uh, really interested in and in enjoyed working on animated scores. Now you did 
a piece not too long ago. What is it called? Zakumi? Yeah, Zakumi. It was a, a World Cup uh, children's cartoon, which I believe was seen by nobody in the U.S. <laughs> Somebody brought the distribution rights for the U.S., but I don't think it ever got aired. Um, mm-hmm. But it was in something like... Um, maybe a dozen languages and aired in 40-ish countries. It was a just a half-hour animated comedy about the World Cup mascot. Yeah, I saw a trailer of it, and the music really did fit well with the imagery that was going on. I think you did a great job of capturing the energy. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that, that was another one where my website as marketing tool did it's a fantastic job in that I had, you know, African fusion music up and that's exactly what they wanted they didn't want anything electronic sounding and uh so they called me up and uh and hired me for that Notice that on IMDb, you've got over, I would say, about 250 film credits and growing, <laughs> I think. Yes. A lot of times, do people use your music and you don't even really know that they're using it in a project and you just a credit appears on the IMDb? Yeah, that is absolutely most of what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, because like even some of the, the things that I've done that I thought were bigger projects and it's like they might not even end up on IMDb. So like, I'll, there's like five or six projects that I will have that I'm like, well, it'd be nice if I had a credit here, but uh, <laughs> apparently this doesn't exist on IMDb. And then, yeah, then there's 200 other pieces that I didn't know about that I apparently scored. Well, I would imagine that there's probably literally four or five times that many projects that aren't in the in the database because of like student films. I'm sure tons of students are using your music as a resource. Yes. Thousands. Thousands. Exactly. Thousands. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed that you have about at least 1800 links back directly into your website. There's probably a lot more than that. Okay. This seems to be working really well for you as far as the advertising in your name out there. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty much busy all the time as much as you want to be. Is that correct? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, gone are the days of working on a student film for somebody on the cheap. You've really made this a real legitimate business and are enjoying life. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Which is not to say that I won't take a, uh, a student film on the cheap from time to time because some of them are fantastic. Oh, sure, exactly. I didn't mean yeah. to, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> to downplay that or anything. But yeah, yeah. Just that you're, you're able to financially be secure with uh, your current model. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah. That's kind of interesting and very cool to see that somebody can do that, you know, really on their own without having to go through any other type of company or media agency. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't have to ask permission to do any of this. You can just go out and do it. And uh, the more free you are, the more people will see your things and the more things will come out of it. I've been trying to get more people to do what I do, but people just seem to have problems with it's like wait a minute you'll you'll give your music away and it could be used in an anti puppy documentary (laughs) well yes it could well i don't want my music used that way i'm like well that's what you have to accept yeah i'm not saying that there's a lot of anti-puppy documentaries out there but there could be yeah i mean it's it's a new world the old industry the old recording industry models really are gone and people will have to really try to reinvent themselves yeah uh, the composers and musicians and find new ways of making money and i and i think we're making money or, or getting their art out there yeah you know whatnot the the, the record company's not going to come around knocking at your door anymore no they do not <laughs> so yeah today your your enemy is not lack of money it's lack of interest or obscurity the more you can do to fight obscurity the better off you're going to be uh, getting back to the projects that you've worked on, can you talk about one or two of your favorite projects and your involvement in the project? The the first project I did, Xmas Eve, I scored that one. That was fantastic. The The director was very helpful in uh, what, what sorts of things he wanted, and I thought that was a great experience. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a documentary called Luke's Kitchen, which was about... I believe it's like an 18-year-old uh, chef in Canada and his his restaurant and you know his vision of food and I thought that one went really well too. The interesting thing about that was the guy asked me for a quote and I gave him a quote and he's like, mm, "Yeah, <laughs> I don't have that much money to, to score this film." I'm like, "Well, how much do you have? And we can see what we can do out of that. And it was significantly less, but I'm like, well, instead of doing a, like a full orchestral score like I wanted to do, I can just do like a, like a piano, clarinet, bass clarinet trio, um, score the thing very quickly and still come in under his budget. And it ended up being uh, just an absolutely beautiful soundtrack for what the piece was so i'm actually kind of glad that he didn't have the budget to hire <laughs> to, to hire me full on for that small miracles is there any way people can check that out is that available on youtube or it is in fact available on youtube in multiple parts what other things are you interested in besides composing music do you have any other hobbies i enjoy cocktails i enjoy drinking cocktails nice. new york has some fantastic cocktail bars and uh, i i do frequent them but these are they're all like um like prohibition era cocktails with some new things mixed in. Oh nice. So uh yeah. Oh oh they're so good. <laughs> What's your favorite place in New York City to go hang out? Oh there's a bar called White Star. Okay. Which is on um, Essex and Hester. The drinks are world I mean world class uh drinks and you can just walk in off the street. You don't have to know someone. 
Um, so it's it's a it's a casual and yet um, very very high quality place to go drinking. One of the things that I wanted to ask you though was what's up with the graph paper? Checking that Alexa website, <laughs> you get probably more hits for that than any. Well, more search results lead yeah. people back to your website for the graph paper than probably for the music. Yeah, my website is basically a tool of convenience for me first. And then other people find it useful for them. So I don't know how many years ago it was. I was sitting at home and I needed graph paper. <laughs> and there were there were no stores open where you could just go get graph paper. And so I just wrote a program using the only tools I knew, which was web development at the time, <laughs> yep. that made graph paper. <clears throat> and I made myself some graph paper and I printed it out. And I don't remember what I did with it, but I'm... <laughs> I'm sure I was very happy with it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I bet you somebody else would, might find this useful too. And so I just linked it up on my on my website. And um, like 30 different graph paper generators later, people do find it very useful. And I get brilliant suggestions from people all the time. It's like, can you, can you make this sort of thing? <laughs> Yes, I can, and uh, and then people found that useful, and then that just that just rolled up on itself. Yeah, it's I had no intention on being big in anything when I started any of this. I just made things that were useful to me. The rest of the world thought it was useful to them, so that's great. <laughs> well, you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lastly, I'd like to ask, uh, what are you currently working on and what, what stuff, uh, are you trying to promote? I know you mentioned something about upcoming musical comedy. In New oh, York. yes. Um, the upcoming musical comedy is called Black Peter and it's, uh, it's a dark musical comedy about, uh, Black Peter. He's like the anti-Santa Claus. He's the guy that's in charge of coal and whippings and, uh, other disciplinary actions, which may or may not include eating children. So anyway, it runs November 27th through December 19th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every week at Stage Left Theater on 30th and uh, 7th Avenue in Manhattan. And for other projects that I'm working on right now, I'm working on a documentary about uh, glacier melting uh, with the Asia Society here in New York. And uh, that should be about a, a, just a 10-minute short documentary. All right. Well, Kevin McLeod, thank you very much for your time. I very much appreciate having the opportunity to come on and talk to you. Thanks again to Kevin McLeod. Again, his website is incompetech.com, I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. You can check out over 800 music tracks available for free download under the Creative Commons Attribution by License. For those of you in the New York City area, make sure to check out Stage Left Studios' production of Black Peter. Kevin McLeod is the musical director for this dark Christmas comedy musical. That's going on from 27 November through 19 December. We're leaving you today with one of Kevin's music songs entitled Tenenbrau Brothers Carnival Act One. Thanks again for listening to Music Live Radio, and we'll catch you next time.
And a final thought from Kevin McLeod, no matter where you go. You know what, man? You want to be there? Good on you.